set. All right, we are rolling. So um, what have you been up to since last semester? Did you graduate or, because I saw you were listed as 2018 MAIPD. Yeah, so technically I won't obtain my degree until May 2018, um, but I, I have fulfilled all the degree requirements. So I decided to walk in December um, with, yeah, with an earlier cohort. Um, but yeah, after walking in December, I did DPMI Monterey, which is a three week intensive for future development practitioners. If you want to get a certification in project management and design. So I did that with Beryl and it was super intense. I didn't sleep. Um, and not only was I a participant, but I also like worked as a course assistant. So if Beryl needed any supplies or had trouble with PowerPoint, I was her contact person for that. Wow. Okay. So that's more responsibility. Yeah, it was an added layer of stress and responsibility, but I think it was worthwhile. Sure. Now I'm on much better terms with her and with some of the other facilitators for DPMI. I mean, I'm sure they're all good connections to have no matter where you are. So Yeah. Um, so one of the facilitators is Evan Blooms. I don't know if you've heard of him. I've heard the name. Okay, he's a Miss alum who founded this NGO in, in New York, not in New York, in DC. And he was so impressed with not only my work, but just like with all Miss students in general. And he said, if we're ever in DC, reach out. So I did. And he said he'd introduce me to his staff here next week. So there you go. Wow. That's great. So yeah, he's that's... person number three that I know. <laughs> <laughs> that, so that's like a real example of the connections you make here at Miss resulting in opportunities elsewhere. Yeah. So that's probably good for people to hear. Um, so you're in DC now. You've got a meeting with Evan Bloom next week. Yes. And his colleagues. So what might that turn into? Um, so this is just my attempt to network. Um, so I don't know many people within the development sector in D.C. Um, and that's what they primarily work in. Uh, the name of the organization is Root Change. Root Change. And trying to system of development. They're trying to come up in research and theory. Um, can you hear me still? I can hear you. It's getting a little bit garbled. It might just be the connection. Yeah, we can edit this, so don't worry. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm just hoping to meet with other researchers and development, and maybe they might recommend me to another organization um, who might then hire me. Right. So it's just an attempt to expand my network. So that's how it's done. Um, this is what I've been told, that you secure jobs not only through like getting a graduate degree, but knowing the right person um, who could basically get you to the door. And I didn't do that very well after undergrad, so I'm trying to be more proactive about it now. Me too. I was sorely under underinformed out of undergrad and had nothing really to show for it other than the piece of paper. So uh, <laughs> sounds like you're on the right track. So uh, far, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wish you the best of luck in that search. Um, are you thinking that the work you you've done at Miss will actually factor into the jobs you look for? Um, you know, in DC yeah. or elsewhere. Yeah, so one thing I really appreciate about Miss is that it's a professional school. So by the end of the two years, you require tangible skill sets. So I could say that I am competent, like with our Stata and other statistical software, because that's one thing they stressed if you did the data analysis track within the IPD program. So I think a lot of the jobs that I want to apply to actually meet their criteria. And this is the first time that that's ever happened. That must be satisfying. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Imagine. 
Um, I remember reading in that article uh, that Ava posted last semester that you had learned all this stuff from Phil Murphy and that you actually put it to use when you were in Haiti. Um, yeah. How, how did you use it when you were there? Yeah, so um, I don't know how familiar you are with Phil Murphy, but he directs the Meta Lab on campus. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know him that well personally, but I've, I've seen him. Yeah, so I worked with him all of last year as a graduate assistant, and I learned the basics of programming in R, um, like working in Excel, how to design surveys. Um, and I actually got to use all of that in Haiti last summer, where I was hired as a research assistant mm -hmm. to administer 100 surveys in the south of Haiti on people's perceptions of NGOs. Yeah. Um, so I helped to design the, the survey instrument, administered it, and then to help evaluate the data afterwards. So again, all of the things I'd learned in the classroom, I basically got to enact in the real world. And last semester, I wrote a 30-page report with some of my preliminary findings, and I'm going to try and publish. So wow, uh, we'll see. Again, Godspeed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all, we'll see. Um, but yeah. If anybody can make it happen, yeah. Um, so you grew up in Haiti, right? I did. Um, so I left, well, my parents sent me when I was eight years old to live with relatives in Florida. Okay. But my early childhood was spent in northern Haiti. Okay. Um, what, what are your, you know, what was like the most distinct part of that time there that you remember growing up? Okay. Sadly, I don't have clear, like, recollections of what life was like. It's only what my parents tell me that I recall. Mm -hmm. um, but I do remember distinct things, like my mother singing church hymns in the morning, Wow. I remember walking to school with my dad, wearing like striped uniforms, like really specific things. Um, yeah, or sometimes I would get like a fragrance and it would take me back to my childhood. But in terms of like clear, vivid memories, I don't have any of that. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Like the, those sort of like sensory experiences, smell especially, it's very powerful. And that's yeah. it like transports me back. Yeah, I bet. Um, so when you went back to Haiti last, you were there last summer? Yeah, and most recently last week. So I, I didn't mention that. <laughs> yeah, so the field site that I was assigned to in the summer was in the south. And I actually, like, I fell in love with the community. And I decided to go back just for a week visit. Um, I thought to present some of the research findings, but I didn't have time to do that. Gotcha. But yeah, you were going to ask a question about last summer. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so so you went you went there to put into practice a lot of the research skills you had been um, learning here at Miss. But what drew you specifically to that project of learning how people perceive NGOs there? Okay, um, I would say it's multifold. One, I was looking to do research in Haiti, um, and Haiti has the most NGOs per capita of any developing country. Yet we rarely evaluate the work that they're doing from the perspective of program beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's how it should be done. Like usually when you conduct program evaluations, you hire your own staff to conduct um, like evaluations based on your own criteria, but you don't ask aid recipients what they think, which I think is critical. And the fact that this study was approaching it from that angle, I thought was interesting. Right. And I'm sure there's a wide variety of responses to those questions. And you probably had in-depth discussions that went all over different, like different ranges of feelings, but did you get any general sense from the people you talked to or were the answers widely varied you could possibly assign a theme to it? Yeah, there were like general sentiments. Um, sorry, there's construction going on. I don't know if that, is that funneling into the audio? Can you hear? Is it, oh, 
I can hear sort of like vague sounds in the background. Don't worry. Yeah, it's not really interfering. All right. In terms of general sentiments, um, people were mostly dissatisfied with the work that NGOs were doing in the south of Haiti. Um, so if you ask them if they thought NGOs brought solutions, 80% of respondents said no. Wow. I think 75% of respondents said they had never met a representative. They had no idea what they were doing in the country, essentially. Um, but one thing that we found fascinating is that if you ask them if NGOs should stay, 80% of respondents said yes. And that was one contradiction that I was trying to grapple with. Yeah. I think they acknowledge that they're incredibly wasteful, that they're doing projects that don't accomplish anything. Yet the majority said they should stay without hesitation. Like yeah. I remember we would ask those questions back to back. Do, do NGOs bring solutions? No, they're corrupt. They don't do anything. Should they stay? Of course. And again, how do you explain that contradiction? And my rationale is that people feel as if the state is largely non-existent. Right. And so in their absence, they justify the presence of non-state actors, um, aka NGOs, to provide social services. So although NGOs are not doing great, a great job, at least they're there, at least they're making an attempt yeah. to help the most marginalized populations. I, I think I saw in that article something like 80% of social services are provided by NGOs in Haiti. Like, yeah, so we have what you would call it. Or you think, that, that contradiction, you know, they see that the services are being rendered to them, even though so much of yeah. action is still ineffective. Yeah, and I think that has largely to do with it. Because we have an NGO state where most schools are run by NGOs, like the state-of-the-art hospitals are all like foreign-owned. People would rather them stay because in their absence, you wouldn't have social services. You wouldn't have anything. Um, so again, I thought, again, people understand these broader themes that we would often discuss like intellectually. As in they, they understand these things too, the concept of an NGO state. They might not use these terms, um, but again, they, they get the same sentiments. Right. Wow. I mean, I, I can't imagine growing up in a place, I mean, in, in the United States, the government is thought to be, you know, this all-powerful entity that is supposed to take care of everybody and it's expected to. But in Haiti, it sounds like they don't even expect that at this point. Yeah. So we, we also asked people what their perceptions were of the state. Right. So how do you define the state? What do you think their role should be? And we found that generally <clears throat> people, some people said that they didn't even see the state. We would ask them, so how do you define it? What do you mean? I don't see the state. And one way to interpret that is that they don't reach us where we are. Like we're so marginalized and neglected that for us, the state does not exist, essentially. Um, and I just can't imagine what that must feel like. I mean, I, w I, can't, I, I can't say that it's exactly the same sentiment, but I think the last election here proved that some people do feel that way. Yeah. In the United States, which is... It's a weird thing to have in common with a country like Haiti that has suffered so much from natural disasters as well as poor management, you know, from their government. Yeah. So that, that's something that I think is worth exploring sometimes as far as like how to address that with people. Yeah, and I think part of, yeah, part of the paper also included recommendations because I didn't want it to only be like a doomsday declaration that NGOs are ineffective. Um, so how can they be more, how can they be more meaningful in their work um, and how can they be more effective essentially so i think i had threefold recommendations i have to go back to the paper and look at oh yeah don't worry too much about those i mean if, yeah. if you remember them great but you know uh i was interested though in that question um like what impact do ngos have on a collective action 
or on collective action in a community, on institutions? Um, have you had a chance to answer that question yet? No. Um, so what I didn't mention is that this is part of a five-year longitudinal study. Wow. Okay. The surveys we did this summer was year two. So my analysis was basically just a subset of what will be the final like report in, in three years. Gotcha. Are but you I think part of it going forward? Possibly. So it depends on whether I get a job offer, yeah. in which case I would accept that rather than continue to do the research um, with this team, although it was an incredible experience. It just didn't pay really well. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. But I think what I could gather, if you don't mind my just... Please. Yeah, I want to hear it. This is interesting yeah. stuff. Is that NGOs have essentially ruptured community ties in Southern Haiti. Wow. Um, that you often have people helping each other and there was this custom of like collective action but now in after a disaster rather than helping each other pooling resources people wait for foreign NGOs to come and provide aid and often when you have a cohesive community when aid is being distributed they fight each other neighbors wrestle and they fight each other to get scarce resources from NGOs wow. and it's something that used to be occurring um, after natural disasters yeah again i don't think that's the intent um that's just an unintended consequence of yeah. development assistance at least the way that it's currently being done especially when development assistance becomes something that these people just rely on for everyday services and one thing that some have said is that it discourages grassroots organizing so rather than again pull resources together and organize to solve their own problems people are sitting around and waiting for foreign actors to resolve their problems. Wow. Um, so it, it disincentivizes just like ownership of one's problems in a community. That That's a really interesting dynamic. I mean, it's something that I think all NGOs should be aware of as far as the way they impact communities they work in. And one thing I should say, at MIST, we're training future development practitioners, people who will go to work for NGOs. And I think we should also be critical of the work that we're doing. Certainly. I would hope that this body of research could be accessible to people within development programs across an array of, of like universities. And we should be really critical of the industry that we're going into. Yeah. I mean, is that something you hope might be accomplished if you were able to get this work published sometime soon? Or Yeah, that maybe, oh God, this might sound a little too, like I don't want to seem prideful. Um, you're, you're allowed to be ambitious. You're being ambitious <laughs> for all the right reasons, Cass. That if this can be like recommended reading for like one of the foundational courses, yeah. that would be great. Um, I think the simple fact of knowing how you're perceived in a community before you go in, I think, can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a good kind of segue into the other topic um, I wanted to cover here. So perception in a community. Um, how do you feel like you personally were perceived in this community at Miss. Um, do you feel like your what what element of your identity do you think was the first one people would take into account? Um, that's a it's a good question. It's a hard one to answer. No, it, it's okay. Take your time. <laughs> yeah. Because this this is the you're the first person I've asked this question, and you're not going to be the last. But um, okay. I'm. This is something that is, I just hadn't even begun thinking about until the last few weeks. So uh, it has to be a complicated question and answer. Do your best. 
Uh, what element of my identity do I think is? Can you repeat it one more time. Sorry. Yeah. What What element of your identity do you think was perceived first? Was like the first categorization that um, what the the mis community sort of probably. Okay, let me try that again. No, no, I, I think I understand it. I just need yeah. time to think through. <laughs> um, because, I mean, you are, you are a woman, you are Haitian, you are a woman of color. There are different elements. Like, I, I, I don't know what you identify with most or what you think other people identified you most with. So. Okay. I think, yeah, identity is always so complex. Um, I think, though, at Miss... Um, the identity marker that was probably strongest was my being in the IPD program. IPD and, program. Yeah, I feel like we less clustered around racial categories or ethnic groups or national origin. It was more so by program. Gotcha. So I think my closest friends happened to have also been in international policy and development. Um, or language of study was another thing that we would cluster around. But if you're looking at more of like personal identity, I suppose, um, it would have to be like my being Haitian. It's one of the things that I'm proud of. And like, if you were to ask students, like I'm that Haitian girl on campus. <laughs> and if they ever met someone who was even remotely related to another Haitian or had done research in Haiti, they would always put me in contact with them. Right. Um, How'd you feel about that? I mean, did you, did you enjoy that? Or did you feel, uh, you know, like that's, that's not how I want to be thought of? Or what was your, your feel on that? Yeah, that's partly how I branded myself. Um, but at times I felt like it made me the expert in the room on like current events in Haiti, history, politics. But I don't think I'm the most informed. Yeah. So sometimes I felt like it put a tremendous amount of pressure on me to like reflect on all of Haiti. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to, I mean, I think sometimes that sort of tokenism takes place. Yeah. In a group where they're just, where... It might could be a diverse group, but there might just be one individual from one place who is therefore associated with everything from that one place. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a burden in a way, but also privilege in other ways. So yeah. did you feel it in both of those ways, you think? Or um yeah, I'm trying to think of specific examples. Um like I had one friend ask me about like voodoo in Haiti, which is a type of religion that I'm not familiar with because um, I grew up like Protestant and Christian. Right. And it was the assumption that, again, if you're Haitian, of course you must be knowledgeable of all things. Um, and I didn't have a really great answer for her, and I referred her to, like, the internet. <laughs> and so, anyway, I think... Yeah. there's a, I watched this video about, um, about voodoo on this show called Reza Aslan's Believer. And I, it was actually really informative about that. I would recommend that as a source. But, like... Um, it's just funny that you say that because you are Haitian, but voodoo, people associate that with voodoo. And like, why would you know about that on a personal level? Yeah, yeah there's, there's tremendous diversity within what it means to be Haitian. So again, I can't reflect yeah. everything. Um, and I, I would say that applies to any identity marker, like mm -hmm. being black, being female. Um, whereas on campus, I don't know that being black is something that I found that I identified with as strongly because again, we didn't really cluster around that. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that kind of leads into the question. I mean, how do you feel 
like diversity was uh, represented? Or do you feel like different groups needed more representation or recognition? Because that seems like a question that's kind of been bubbling up with different groups on campus lately. And um, especially in this context of like Black History Month, we're trying to figure out where, if anywhere, we need to change the way we discuss these issues. So did anything ever come up or did you ever have feelings that diversity was not being addressed or that it maybe it didn't need to be addressed? I, I don't know, what, what were your feelings or thoughts on that, if any? Okay. Well, first I just want to say that MIST was much more diverse than I'd anticipated. Really? Okay. Countries of origin. Yeah. Uh, I had classmates from like all across continents and that was incredibly refreshing. Um, in terms of diversity, after the results of the election, I had hoped to talk about race in a way that was honest and authentic. And I didn't feel like there was a space for that. Um, yeah, like what is, does it mean to nominate a president who despises immigrants, who is who have often framed blacks as being violent and uneducated? Yeah. I didn't feel as if, again, there was a space to talk about that safely because we don't really address race. I don't know. So that's kind of like a, for better or for worse, we don't address race. Um, it's kind of like, you know, people say, oh, I don't see color and therefore it doesn't figure into my decisions. And yet it is a reality. And it it, is. it's even if you are, you know, progressive in that sense, you're still living in a world. Well, our world now, our country, um, and there are many other countries with leaders who are very similar to ours. It's, so you can't just ignore it. Um, yeah, and we don't necessarily have to. It could be something as simple as organizing a forum, getting students together just to talk about like, initial reactions to current events. Or I don't know. I feel like we were pretty pretty oblivious to what was happening. Yeah. The president also decided to um, discontinue the TPS program, so it's a temporary protected status that was awarded to Haitians and people like from the African continent and other countries in, in the Caribbean. And they had been given temporary residency in the US. And he said that we don't want these people in our country. We want immigrants from Sweden. And what does that mean to preference immigrants from a majority white country and not want immigrants from black countries? I mean, this is something that we should be talking about as an institute that counts itself on being international. Yeah. Um, yeah. I totally agree. Uh, and that's kind of why, um, this podcast is happening. Um, it's a big focus is going to be getting these conversations started. And my conversation with you right now is one of those. Um, and we're actually going to have sort of a panel put together in the next couple of weeks of uh, African-American students, of African students, and eventually of Chinese students, of Indian students, of all different groups so that they can feel represented, so they feel like their voices are heard, so they can ask the questions you've been asking. Yeah, I think it's especially frustrating if you don't have anyone to go to to talk these problems, to talk about these problems. Um, wow. You end up venting on Facebook, and that's not the most productive way. Certainly not. <laughs> and it's our hope that this will be that forum. Uh, and if you had any like recommendation for for the school to help that representation and those conversations to happen, 
what might it be or not to the school to us even you know we're like this is technically through student council this podcast but people from across the school are working on it so what what could you have tell us to do or suggest for us i think it would help greatly and this is probably out of the bounds of like your control i think it would help greatly if diversity were reflected in our faculty because then we would have different perspectives to offer um, and more professors, including these types of conversations within the curriculum or some of the course content that they offer. Because as it stands, I think uh, Professor Koli is the only black faculty we have. And he sometimes says this jokingly, that he had to be the advisor for the African uh, Nations Club because he's the only black professor. So who else could they have gone to? Um, I don't know. I just think, again, if you have diversity reflected within the faculty, then you'll have diversity in terms of the course content that's offered. Um, and you might have people who be, be willing to facilitate these types of conversations who have experienced it personally. Right. Um, well, um, I, I really like that idea. And I think our school, I mean, they just sent out an email this morning about these three sort of new focuses that they're going for as far as like reshaping the school's purpose and image and and I think that this is exactly the kind of thing they might need to hear. So um, I'll keep this in mind, and I think the school will, will eventually get this uh, from students like yourself, um, that that diversity should be reflected not just in the student body, but in the faculty, in the curriculum. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, and I, I also wish the school wouldn't operate in a bubble. So going back to our previous conversation about what's happening in current events, we should be, again, responding. Again, whether it be through forums or, I don't know, posting stuff around campus, just somehow to say that like we're not oblivious to what's happening in, the, yeah. in this country. Do you feel like it should be in the form of, you know, the school putting out statements or, you know, it, it would be great for us to have actual discussions organized when big news breaks that affects people in our school or affects people in the countries that we are studying or whatever, you know, it's a lot, it's an international school. So everything matters to us. Yeah. What, what do you see that, that sort of thing? I think uh, President Patton, she's been sending like official emails, like, mm -hmm. usually to assert the university stance on a given issue. Um, so that's admirable. Um, but I do like the idea of having a panel um, where, again, here is this event. Like, what do you all think? How are you all affected, if at all? What can the university do moving forward? Like, I don't know. Um, well, I mean, if the university won't do it if, or the institute yeah. won't, um, the, institute, the students will. We will. That's kind of what we're trying to do now. So I'm glad to hear that that's something you think would be effective. Yeah, highly effective. Um, uh, have you seen Black Panther yet? Oh my goodness, yes. So I went, when did I go? God. And just so you know, not everybody who's, who will listen to this will have seen it yet. So okay, I will not I avoid spoilers, but I wanted to get your impression of it for sure. Yeah, I saw it Saturday and I'm going again this weekend. Going again. Yeah. It's part of a movement. It's not just the film. Right? It's, <laughs> I mean, I, can, I can't wait to hear everybody's perspectives on it because I can only imagine you know yeah so my thing and I'm sure you've heard Lupita Nyong'o and some of the other actors weigh in on this is that 
it depicts Africa in a futuristic sense. Like it propels you into a future where colonization had not happened. Yeah. Um, Wakanda is a fairly advanced society. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's imaginative and it's refreshing to see the continent depicted in this way. To say the least, yeah, refreshing is a mild way to put it. I mean, it's, it's from what I've heard, it's practically like revolutionary. Um, it is. It's an all black cast um, and they're just stellar. Like we're not sidekicks. No. But we are. We're the sidekicks, we're the main character. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're, and I can yeah. only imagine how inspiring it, it will be for kids who go to see this movie. Not just kids, for anybody of any age to see that this is happening. Yeah, initially I thought it would be useful just for like young kids of color to see themselves represented on the big screen. But I realized I needed to see that just as much. Yeah. I just mean, to have yourself validated that you're important, that you can affect change in the world. Um, that you can be a hero, I think is a very simple but powerful message to send. Definitely. Um, I was just astounded by the movie, the music, the, the cast, the action, and just the messages behind it are really, really admirable. And I can't wait to see the effects that it has. Um, yeah. I think my, my only critique is that they shouldn't, I won't spoil, oh God, I can't. <laughs> I will hold that critique. Okay. You know what? It would be a good idea. We'll consult you again. We're going to do another episode with a, like a review of the movie. Once. Oh, God, please. And maybe we'll call you again and get your full, your, your full take on it. Yeah, I would gladly offer my opinion. Uh, yeah, we'll get an update on that and we'll get an update on your job search. Um, we're trying to keep up with alum, alumni. Well, I guess you're not technically an alumnus or alumna yet, but effectively. Um, but we're trying to track, you know, you were suggested and you came up in a conversation with Caitlin, like as, a, as an alumna, a student from Miss, a person of color whose work needs to be highlighted. So we're going to, we want it to be, we're not going to just, this isn't the end of that for sure. Okay. Well, thank you. I am honored um, so much that you reach out so um. well it's it's my privilege definitely um thank you so much uh, i'm gonna stop the recording here probably and